Welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, no match this weekend, of course, so uh, it's not match-centric. But still, the podcast is here. It's everything Manchester City in one place. And I appreciate all the people who subscribe and who listen to the podcast each and every week. And we try to do one uh, every Sunday night, UK time, or Monday if City have played on a Sunday. And we'll try to do that all the way through the season. And we can do that because of the support of charleslewy.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors. They give advice on getting a mortgage or buying a property. They actually sell properties. Uh, they deal with commercial, they deal with private. So if you have something that's coming up or you've got a family member who's interested in uh, finding out about mortgages, I recommend them. Uh, great guys. Uh, give them a call. The number's on the website, charleslewy.co.uk. City fan, of course, uh, as you'd imagine, uh, Dave, who runs it. So thanks very much to them for supporting this podcast and thanks for them supporting me. Now, uh, because we are in between games, we will talk a little bit about football, of course, but we'll talk about all sorts of things to do with City. And we have with us the General Secretary of the Official Supporters Club, Kevin Parker, uh, on this podcast. So thanks very much, Kevin, for, for joining us. Uh, always welcome, of course. Uh, and we've also got um, Adam, who is one, Adam P, shall we call him, because we have two Adams on the podcast from time to time. And Adam is a former member of the City Matters Committee, but obviously he's still a fan as well. So uh, he's with us as well. So thanks to the two of you for joining me. Let's start by talking about the football, because the football has been amazing. Um, I can't help thinking, particularly at the moment, with watching what's happening at Newcastle United, um, that... that you know, do we, I'm, I'm sure we do, but do we always fully appreciate how lucky we have been with the honours that have come in, the football we've seen, the three managers, I'm not including Mark Hughes in that, but the three managers that we've had since the shake took over, the stability that he's offered, uh, just the amazing things that we've seen. Um, do, I'm sure you do, Kevin. I mean, you've got to appreciate, but I, I pinch myself because it won't last forever, will it? And you've got to, You've got to enjoy it, savour every minute at the moment, haven't you? Yeah, I, th I think that's the thing. I think the whole point about the Newcastle um, uh, buyout that happened this week is it, it sort of does remind you that it probably won't last forever. You know, there's always a, a new big boy in town and it looks as if Newcastle are probably going to be that club. And I, I think it's you made a very good point there, though, as well, about we've had three excellent managers and uh, the owners were very um, good with Mark Hughes to a certain extent, is they gave him an opportunity. But once the Mark Hughes uh, regime wasn't working, it was very important that they got the right man in to take us forward, and, and that was Mancini, of course. And, and what a fantastic job that Mancini did. He dragged that banner down, of course, at Old Trafford, won the FA Cup won the Premier League in such a fantastic way. And uh, listen, I think we all were sort of aware there were some rumblings going on in the background at the club between Mancini and staff and players. But from a from a supporter's perspe uh, perspective, we absolutely loved him. And, and, and actually, Mancini is one of the managers who has been linked with Newcastle, I think. But whether he'd leave Italy before he gets a chance to take them to the World Cup, I would be surprised. But I think it's very, very, it, it's more important for Newcastle, I think, that they get that managerial appointment right, rather than the players that they're being linked with and bringing in. Because if, if you don't get that manager right, that very first one, I think it can, it can snowball very quickly. I mean, 
they don't like Steve Bruce up at Newcastle, but the reality is last season, I think his record was as good as the previous season under Benitez. So, but it, it's all about the power and the image and the attraction that that coach is going to be able to get the right player in and, and give the right sort of uh, image that, that the new owners are going to want at Newcastle. Listen, I, you know, good luck to Newcastle and their supporters. You know, they're, uh, they are one of those clubs that fall under the sleeping giant umbrella. And um, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, though. You know, it's certainly not. It's more difficult for them now to a certain extent because they're not playing in Europe, of course. They don't quite have the UEFA FFP rules to worry about. But if they want to play in Europe, they're still going to have to consider the financial fair play rules because if they spend a load of money to get themselves into Europe, no sooner will they be in Europe and UEFA financial fair play will come crashing down around them. So, uh, well, fair play to them. And you're right, listen, they're, they're now the richest football club in the world. So they've, they've managed to take that mantle away from us. The pressure's off us and the pressure's all on them. And um, it'd be interesting to see how the media deal with them uh, knowing how they've dealt with us for the last 10 or 11 years. Well, I was invited onto BBC Radio Newcastle just after that takeover had been uh, had gone through and was asked for my opinions. And there were so many things swirling around in my mind. You know, I, I remember at the beginning when the Sheikh took over from Taksin Shinawatra, but even when Taksin took over, I suppose, that was the start of the sort of new era, if you like, for City. Um, you know, how did I feel? And you do see the club change. You, I've seen my team, my club change some ways for the better. We've seen marvellous football, which, you know, you have to pinch yourself really that you, you're privileged to be able to see this sort of thing. But you've also seen a few things that I'm not as keen on, you know, things that have changed for the worst. So the swings and roundabouts to everything. And I remember talking to a city, well, plenty of city sports club branches uh, and uh, I, I, I completely have it in my mind that I was speaking once at Bredbury branch and they split the session into two halves and the first half of it we were talking about how everybody wanted to sign better players this is before taxing before the shake you know how do we get better players and I was saying well you know it's all about raising money the football's all about money these days and you know that might mean that ticket prices go up or programs go up or shirts go up or whatever it might be, because you need money to do that, unless you get a sugar daddy, not knowing what might happen. And then in the second half, people were moaning about how much shirts were and how much tickets were and all. And I said, you can't have it both ways. No. You don't understand. You can't, you know, be careful what you wish for in the world. But we, we now have that experience. We've also had the experience of owners from the Middle East. And you've already alluded to it, Kevin, of the media, you know, wanting to have a go at those owners. I don't get involved in that politically at all. I admit that. I'm not an expert on Middle Eastern politics. I do know, though, that Saudi Arabia probably have the worst reputation of all of the, uh, the, the countries, if you like, the ownerships in the, in the Middle East. And that would be a little bit alarming for me, but I would be a hypocrite then to, to criticise that, having watched what's happened to City and welcomed it with open arms. So there's a lot of things been going around in my mind, and FFP is another one. What have you made, Adam, of, of this? I mean, have you seen the similarities between us and what's happening to them now? Yes, um, I think 
like you say, I think Saudi have possibly, you know, got a worse reputation even than our owners in terms of the media have been straight onto it, I think. Um, this doesn't seem to be enough point made of the fact that none of this has got anything to do with Newcastle fans. They haven't brought this on themselves. They haven't got any control over these new owners any more than they had control over Ashley being the owner, and they tried for 15 years to get rid of him. Um, I don't ever understand why, uh, you know, say we're, we're supposed to point the finger at Saudi and say it's terrible that a football club is owned by Saudi and yet the government's doing deals with them. And, what you know, why is it, why is it football's fault? Same with our owners. I mean, we're always reading... You know that uh, Sheikh Mansour is the deputy prime minister of the UAE or whatever, but the prime minister of the UAE has been running Godolphin Racing for 30, 40 years, and he's been lauded until the last couple of years, at least. He's been lauded for pouring money into British racing, and that's a good thing when it's racing, but it seems to be not a good thing when it's city. So uh, I, I, I try and stay out of it as well. I'm, I'm very, I'm not really on social media because I don't want to fight financial and political arguments over over the. The, you know, the boys in blue, really. Yeah, I mean, it's our club. We're the fans. So whatever happens in the future is 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 not anything to do with us. I mean, another aspect you could say to that is that City have become mega successful. And one of the things that, that they call us out for um, is the empty seats, which obviously is going to bring me on to specifically um, Kevin, you know, and, and the way that he was treated a little bit by the media. Um, but, you know, the fact that, the fans are the same, essentially the same fans. So suddenly now we're in cup finals, long runs in the Champions League. We've got no more money than we had before. But, and suddenly they're calling people out for, for not attending every single game. And, you know, yeah, if you've got rich fans, fair enough. If you've got fans who've got no jobs, uh, but loads of leisure time, no problem. But there are so many pulls on us now as fans. I mean, I'm lucky because I've made me living from it for, for many, many years at the moment. I'm I'm just a season card holder like everybody else, but I, for many years I've made my living from it. I have complete sympathy for people who can't get to games, um, but that's another thing that is thrown at clubs. Newcastle, to be fair, have a great fan base, don't they? So, um, they've, and I, I really admire the Newcastle supporters and the club generally. Um, let, let, let's go straight to the elephant in the room, Kevin. I mean, you've got I think some unfair stick from from some people for answering questions about what Pep said, and I don't want to sort of necessarily go into all that again. But did you feel you were unfairly treated by by the media for your honest comments when asked directly about what Pep had said? Yeah, well, I, I think I probably uh, allowed Sky Sky Sports to drag me in. To be honest with you, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, what I was trying to do is um, it, it wasn't even particularly about Pep, I suppose. What I was trying to do is to support any supporters' right not not to have the right to go to a particular football game. You know, we don't know the situation surrounding supporters, whether it's a financial situation, whether they struggle with childcare, whether it's a long time to travel, you know, if it's a night game. Uh, so I would never criticise any supporter, whatever. The, even if somebody just turned around and said, you know what, I can't be bothered going to the game on Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Saturday afternoon. That's everybody's own individual choice. And yeah, listen, I suppose I should have known better in terms of uh, how I responded to uh, the, the the guy on Sky, and actually, I would probably say that Sky had been very good in the past with me. You know, they're you know, they've they've, they've been quite fair and level with the way that they've asked questions. 
Um, and right in the, the middle of the particular interview I was doing with him that morning, you know, he then twisted it and, and threw in this question about, you know, me picking a fight with Pep. And, and then because of that, you know, then they asked the same question to Pep at his press conference uh, later in the week. Um, but it, so it wasn't really about Pep. It was really about me defending any supporters' right um, to go or not to go to any football game. You know, I don't think we should ever question them. And yeah, we do get criticised for empty seats and, and Newcastle do have a fantastic fan base. And I would imagine, you know, particularly now that they will fill the stadium. But we do have to remember that they're a one club city. You know, Newcastle has one football team in that city. You know, um, most other major cities in the UK have, have at least two, at least two. There's a few Leeds independent, but London, you know, how many, how many football teams are in London, you know, in the Premier League? Five, maybe, maybe even more. Um, you know, in Manchester, you've got two. Uh, in Birmingham, you've probably only got one that's currently in the Premier League, but then you've got Birmingham and West Brom, who are big clubs in their own right. So Newcastle, actually, you can sort of see maybe why the, uh, the, the uh, maybe they've been purchased by this consortium because there is a great lot to go at. You know, the, the, getting the support through the door is not going to be very difficult, I think. Um, but listen, it's all, it's all water under the bridge. Uh, the bridge, you live and you learn. And um, I've stopped wearing that disguise when I go to the shops now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it suggested that one of the uh, outcomes from Newcastle now joining the elite, I know it won't happen instantly because we saw it unfold ourselves at City, but they will eventually, I'm sure, join the elite. And, and there has been a bit of reaction that tends to confirm this, that the, the, the clubs who were principally involved in trying to break away with Super League will now get even more twitchy and even more keen to do that. Is that something that you can see happening, Kevin? Well, I don't think they'll be able to break away from the Premier League because I think as part of the whole fallout over this uh, European Super League, I think those six clubs from the Premier League, haven't they signed an agreement now with the Premier League that they're not going to do it for at least the next 10 years? Uh, and listen, the reality is that there is a European Super League. It's called the Champions League. You know, that's already in place. And I think we forget that actually we've still got, I say we, I mean supporters generally, but even clubs have got battles they still need to fight with the UEFA on the Champions League because they were talking about bringing two or three clubs into the competition who hadn't even qualified. You know, and, and I think we all know that financial fair play is... I hate to use the word corrupt, but it, you know, financial fair play is there to suit to protect the rights of the of the bigger clubs who were winning the Champions League or the European Cup before. And they're protecting themselves, so there's still plenty wrong. Even though I think the European Super League, from a Premier League club point of view, is going to be safe for a while, there are still big issues I think to deal with with UEFA and the Champions League. And I know the Football Supporters Association are still fighting quite hard to get, you know, to get things sorted within that. What do you think, Adam? I mean, uh, when you look at, at the way Newcastle are going to go and the, the prospects of, of the big clubs wanting to protect themselves further, do, do you worry about the future of, of football particularly and, and City as well? Yes, I do, but not not specifically because of the Newcastle deal. I mean, it was a it was a real um, 
a real disappointment to me that City were involved in all this uh, this Super League stuff. And I know what Kevin's saying, but I still think if the opportunity, if the deal's on the table there for it to be done tomorrow, I still think they would walk away and do it tomorrow. And whatever it is they've signed, all they'll be in there will be some punitive, you know, some fines or some some financial dealings. And if the money's right, they'll they'll still walk away and they'll pay whatever they have to pay to get out of it. I don't believe for a second that uh, these clubs have just have heard the voice of the fans and, and that they've now decided that they're going to give up on that idea. I think it's, you know, we didn't have any inkling of what was being planned until it was announced. And I'm, I think it'd be naive to think that it's not still being planned now. Whether the City are at, are at the top table or not is another question, but you certainly know that those, uh, you know, the Spanish clubs and Juventus and, the, you know, United, Liverpool, that, that that's what they're looking to do. You've become a little bit... Disenfranchised, haven't you, with uh, City yeah. and, and football? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of reasons why, but yeah, to, to a lot of extent, City doesn't feel like my club anymore. Football doesn't feel like my game anymore. Uh, I still care about the results. I'm still watching the games, but uh, I feel very, very far away from. I don't. I don't feel connected like I used to do to the club or the game. Do you think you're in a minority with that view? Uh, I don't know. It's not something I want to really talk about too much because I don't want to be miserable about it or try and enforce it on other people. Everyone has their own personal connection to the club, to the game. Um, you know, maybe I don't know. I've been going to the I've been going to the games for forty odd years, and and I just don't feel the same connection to it anymore. That's all. That's as close. That's as much as I can say, really. Do you get that sense, Kevin, from other people? You know that you you deal with as many fans as I do, don't you? Oh, well, listen, first Probably of all, I would more. say it's, it, it's a shame to hear that from Adam because I know that when Adam was the chair of the City Matters group, you know, he was very passionate about the city and, and the club and the team and, and, and particularly the group that he represented, you know, the families group on the City Matters. So it is, it is a shame to hear that. I think part of that is maybe, maybe as well, I think uh, the pandemic has had an effect. People yeah. actually grew out of, I mean, going to football games is a habit. And you want to do it and you want to do it. You go to a game and you want to go to the next game home or away as soon as you... I mean, you can imagine, and I didn't do Liverpool, I just don't do Anfield, but for reasons going back to 2014. But you can imagine the supporters who went to Chelsea and then went to PSG and then went to Liverpool. They're so keen to go to the next game. It's addictive and it's a habit. But there's also an element of that when you couldn't get to football games during the pandemic and during the lockdown, People found other things to do. Yeah. And actually, football dropped down the scale of importance. Some people found different things to do at home. Some people found different hobbies. They found more things to do with the family. And actually, probably in, in an odd way, probably because football became so easy to watch on the television during lockdown, that in itself became the habit. Watching the game at home, you know, for some people. So I fully understand it. I do think it will take a. Uh, I do think it will take a time. You know, we've seen that in terms of membership of the supporters club. Um, the, the last full season, we had uh, about three hundred and ten branches, but probably about twenty three thousand members. Last season, I think we ended up with fifteen thousand, so we were eight thousand down. Um, with roughly the same number of branches. Actually, we're just finishing off our first membership period now, and we've got about 320 branches now. So the number of branches has increased. But 
our membership is up on last year, but down on the previous season when we had a full season. So I do think I do think the pandemic and the lockdown pandemic and the lockdown has has an impact, and people have found other things to do. And of course, during all of that period, the European Super League was part of that as well, wasn't it? You know, and I think yeah. some people I did hear some people say. You know what? Even though we're even though we've changed our minds and we're going back into it, football. I'm done with football now. You know, football's let me down, so I can't be bothered following it anymore. I do. I have heard that from people. Once you know, once we start to play the football we're playing though, and start to get the results we get, that starts to draw people back, doesn't it? You know, because as you said earlier on, when we started, uh, Ian, the football that we're watching at the moment is absolutely, uh, I mean, it's its unbelievable. I mean, we've seen some great football. We saw some great football under both Mancini and Pellegrini. And in the early days, of course, under Pep, we saw some great football. But actually, those three games that we've just seen at Chelsea, at PSG, even though we lost, and at Liverpool, the football was unbelievable. It's fantastic. You know, he just they just raise it a different level again. And... Uh, um, having thought maybe four or five weeks ago, you know, when we had a couple of results that not dodgy but weren't great, you know, we lost at Spurs and then we drew at home to Southampton while other clubs seem to be picking up results. Now, you know, I do honestly think, and it's going to be tough by the way, but I do honestly think again, we are the team to beat. I do think we're the team to beat in this Premier League. I think we've got still got the world's best coach and we've got the best some of the best players in the world. We've got five players in the Ballon d'Or nominations. And, of course, um, some of the football is unbelievable. So hopefully, Adam, you know, as I said, genuinely, you know, you'll start to see some of the football that's, uh, that's starting to come back again this season. It might drag you back in. Yeah, for, uh, yeah. You know, and, uh, because it, I do believe it is addictive and maybe you've just gone the other way slightly because of... I know I've seen you on Facebook doing all that stuff at home and all that. Oh, stuff yeah. you've been doing in the garden and making your homemade wine and what have you. But yeah. seriously, they are probably the sort of things that yeah, yeah. Uh, have distracted you away from the football. Yeah, you're right. It was it was the 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 whole pandemic lockdown thing was like a was a, a disconnect. It just disconnected you from your normal life. And uh, like you say, maybe I need some impetus, or certain people need some impetus to reconnect. And I've just deferred the season ticket for this season, so that buys me some time. Yeah, who so knows how I'll feel next season? I don't know. Well, there's a difficult question, which is not meant to be a negative question, but since we haven't got matches to talk about this week, um, this one is a fascinating one for me because I, I wasn't sure how many people would come back. A lot of people like you have deferred tickets, but yet for the Premier League games, despite what critical fans from outside of City might say, the seats have been full. You know, there is a tremendous uh, support base. But I'm also very aware of the fact that we have got United in the same city or just outside. You know, I've been to Liverpool today to a show. It's only, it only takes you half an hour to get there. And they, they've got huge support, of course, Liverpool. And, and I just, I wonder, I don't want particularly my club to change, but I can see that City as an organisation are all about global expansion, which has obviously been damaged by COVID as well, because there's not as much travelling and how quickly that will come back, I don't know. But if this is a hypothetical question and it isn't meant to be negative, but if and when Pep goes, not, I suppose it's not if, it's when Pep goes, um, uh, is there a danger that if we stop winning all these trophies, that we are 
you know, because we haven't got that global fan base, which I think everybody who's sensible, who's a City fan, will say we're not in the same ballpark with United, with with uh, even with Tottenham and Chelsea, and potentially even West Ham, you know, because of their London base and United. You know, we 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 have a fantastic loyal, you know, supporter base, and we have pockets around the world of great great supporters not knocking the global part of it but we haven't got the massive numbers that can backfill so I wonder I'm a little bit concerned that in two or three years from now when Pep's gone you know do Cheeky Bergeristein and Soriano go is there a big shake up behind the scenes and whoever comes in is it like following Fergie you know an almost impossible task and at that point do us legacy fans like you, probably Adam, to a point, drift away, and then there's no there's a void behind because of the new television generation. What, what do you think of all that, Kev? Oh well, listen, you know, I suppose we 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 would say that we followed this team through thick and thin, and we didn't win a trophy for thirty four years. So I don't think it will have that much of a ne- negative impact. There, there, there are, of course, because we now are a global club. You, you would have to accept, as is. As is the case with Chelsea and Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, probably Spurs and Arsenal to a lesser degree. You know, with that brings in some global support that is probably based around um, the fact that we're winning so many trophies and that Pep is the coach. And I think some of them may fall by the wayside either once Pep goes or if Pep goes and the results don't quite uh, aren't quite the same. But I don't think they have as big an impact on us as they would do with other clubs. I mean, I think when Leicester won the Premier League, you know, everybody in Thailand had a Leicester City shirt on, didn't they? You know, um, because that's where their owners came from. I bet you don't see many people in in Thailand wearing a, a Leicester City shirt now because they're not quite... They're probably wearing possibly City shirts or, or Chelsea shirts. You know, that's the nature of it. It will have a slight impact, potentially, I don't think a major impact because I think the club is built and structured. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Pep, aren't we? You know, and there will be a point at which he goes. That may not be in two years' time, but I'm sure the club are already scouring the world and and it's a moving feast. I'm sure the club are already scouring the world as to who the next coach after Pep will be. You know, I mean, listen, we if you think about it over the during the course of Pep. We've lost some unbelievable footballers. We've lost Vincent Company, uh, Yaya Torre, David Silva, Pablo Zabaleta, Sergio Aguero. Uh, I'm sure there are a couple of others I've not mentioned there. And yet, as a club, we're as stable within the team as we were when they were there. Now, we all used to think, didn't we? Oh, what are we going to do when Vinny goes? What will you, What will we do when David goes? You know, and oh, Sergio, we can't let Sergio go, you know. But the club is structured so well at the moment, I think, that we still look back at those as being great players. But it's very rare that we look at the team now and say, oh, we need Vinny, or we need David, or we need Sergio, or we need Yaya. There might be the odd occasion when you might think, that Yaya was a fantastic player and he should have won the player year in 2014. But we continue to evolve as a team. And I think on that basis, we will continue to evolve uh, as a club. Because, listen, Pellegrini even said, didn't he, that, that he did an interview a little while ago, and he said he got the job at City, 
And he knew at City, he'd been told that if Pep becomes available, he's out the door because Pep's coming in. So we're probably already looking. It's great that Pep's extended his contract, but as a club, we're probably already looking at what we will potentially do when Pep is not around. So I, I don't have major concerns about that, to be honest with you. But the biggest, going back to your major part of the question, do I think that that will impact on us from a support point of view? No, I don't, because, again, going back to that, into, I, I think we've got a, a real hardcore support of somewhere between 38 and 40,000, you know, and I don't think that's going to shift. It may fluctuate up and down depending on the game, they're the ones who go, by the way, to the Champions League games and the FA Cup games and the Carabao Cup. They're the ones who go. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about the impact it will have on City. I'm not. I think we've even spoken in the past, Kevin, about how the, the amazing football that we play at the moment actually can, can hamper the match-day atmosphere because you just yeah. sit there and you're watching City strangle team week after week after week and you you almost you sit there in silence and just watch it happen. And I've caught uh, I've caught United a couple of times this season on the box, and they sound oh, more, more yeah. <laughs> they, their fans sound more raucous now that they've got a mediocre side than they did in all those years when they were winning everything. So I think that you know the idea that that one day our fo- our football might not be as good as it is today doesn't necessarily lead lead to a, a, a less enjoyable atmosphere of the ground. I don't think I don't necessarily think that follows. So I yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. And maybe the lack of a striker in an odd way has made some of these games more competitive than they yeah. would have been. You know, we, we, we've won games in the past, haven't we? Four, five, six, seven, nil and what have you. I mean, Chelsea yeah. was one nil and we were fantastic, but it was on a knife edge all the way yeah. through because you're thinking they just need to break away once and potentially Lukaku get half a chance. We played fantastic at, at PSG and still lost because, you know, yeah. of two wonder strikes. And, and we went to Liverpool and drew a game that we should have won. So, yeah, I agree with you, actually. You know, th- there's an element of, even though the football has been so good, part of the reason those games those games have been so good to the neutral is that they've been on a knife edge all the way through. Mm. But, I, I, no, I don't think it's going to have an impact on, on us, Ian, I don't. It certainly won't have an impact on me. You know me well enough. I've been <laughs> going uh, to every single game since I was a kid and I uh, don't envisage that stopping until I'm pushing daisies up from underneath. But um, that, that's, and I think there's a lot of people like me. I don't claim I'm anything special. I think there's a lot of people who have that type of mentality. Now, the other, the, another area I wanted to go into, uh, Mark Todd has been regularly on our podcast in the last few weeks, who's now part of City Matters. Uh, and I have to say, looking from a distance, he's doing an amazing job. He seems to have had, um, you know, a, a tiger in his belly, you know, and he's, he's really um, forced and, and pushed City back and got some great results from what he's doing. Uh, obviously, Adam was on the committee before, and we've talked to you, Adam, when you were on City Matters, and you're on it, Kevin, too. So I just wonder what, what you feel now um, about the things that have happened off the field in the last few months, really, and as to whether you think everything's going in the right direction. Uh, I'm not necessarily singling out Mark as the the only change of anything, but whether the fans having their say has made a bit of a difference, whether they're listening and whether City Matters actually works. Well, there's a, there's, there's a few uh, bombs thrown into that question, I think, <laughs> to be fair. They're not I mean, mentally all, bombs, they're just yeah. questions. <laughs> uh, first, first of all, covering Mark, I mean, listen, I think we were all really excited when Mark was going to come on to the City Matters group because we, we, we knew him from the past. We knew that 
he wasn't going to come on and be a wallflower, you know. And and Mark, to be fair to him, has come straight in and and he's uh, uh, and actually, I think sometimes the important thing about City Matters is, and um, and Adam was very good at that, is that you can't just come in and look after the group that you are responsible for. I think you have to get involved in other groups as well. And Mark's very good at looking after his own group, but he will also have a say about other areas that affect everybody. I don't think anybody can hide away from the fact that the the big mobile ticketing seems to have sorted itself out now pretty much. And I think the fact that the two international weekends probably help as well. I notice now you can you can already your tickets already downloaded for Burnley. You can already put your ticket online for the ticket exchange for both Burnley and for Crystal Palace, and you can start to you know transfer it to other people. But the biggest issue has been the customer services and. And, and that's not been great, you know, people waiting on the phone for hours and getting disconnected and not having replies to emails. And um, that it's probably not as bad now as it was because more people are comfortable with what's happening with mobile ticketing. But it's still not right, I think it's fair to say. I think the clubs still need to have a look at that, you know, um, what what we don't want is a return. If the club make a decision on something that's going to affect all the supporters, we don't want to return to the chaos that was happening before uh, with customer services. So I see that at the moment as the biggest area. There are some other areas, of course, you know, there's, there continues to be queuing um, in the South Stand area of the stadium, which, which is probably, Adam will remember this, that's not particularly related to mobile ticketing, that's 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 uh, down to the constraints of the turnstiles in the south stand end of the stadium, which for some reason that there aren't enough turnstiles there. I don't know whether that's totally related to it being where the away fans go in as well. Haven't I heard though that they're putting some new turnstiles in at that end? I, I, my understanding is the Basford, the Council for Planning Commission. I don't know whether that's been granted, and that, yeah, there are extra turn, which, which you know it needs to happen. Um, so hopefully that's definitely a step in the right direction. Of course, you know, the building, we know this, we, we don't own the stadium, we rent it from the, the council. So I, effectively, we have to ask the council, I presume, can we put some extra turnstiles in their building? So that's probably what it's about. I don't see them having that as an issue. Um, but it has calmed down recently, but that I don't think we should allow ourselves to think that because it's gone quieter, that everything in the garden is rosy. And it's difficult, you see, because we, I deal with people in the ticket office all the time um, from a supporters club point of view. And unfortunately, they're the people who get, the, you know, the sharp edge of it. And if the supporters got a gripe, they'll give it to somebody at the window or they'll give it to somebody over the phone. And they're just, you know, like you and I, they're, they, they've no control over things. They're just trying to help stem the tide to a certain extent. Uh, so somebody further up at the club um, needs to uh, get that thing sorted. But again, Adam will know the relationship that we as a City Matters group have and, and did have when Adam was there with Danny Wilson. You know, Danny is, is very open with things and he's very honest and he, he wants to work hard to, to get things sorted for supporters. Uh, but somewhere along the line, something is not quite right and we just need to make sure that that's sorted to relators. But on City Matters... Yeah, we've got our first full meeting back at the stadium now next Thursday. 
And we've also got some subcommittee groups taking part that day and ticketing. And there's a few others already started to happen in terms of catering and atmosphere and equalities. So I think now, um, hopefully, it's easier, I think. Those meetings are better when you can look into the eyes across the table of somebody and you can see the emotion in the body of whether they're getting it, whether you can whether you can rely on them to do what you want them to do. Whereas Zoom calls or, 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 or Teams isn't, doesn't always work because not everybody even puts the video on when they're doing a Zoom call or a Teams call. So um, the city matters, we'll, we'll see. Let, let's hope that the, the meet, with the meeting starting again next Thursday, we can start to put a bit of pressure on again. Do you feel encouraged by that, Adam? Because you've, you're not there now anymore. And I know that at times you felt like you were banging your... Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were banging your head against a brick wall a bit. Well, using the using the, tick, the mobile ticketing as an example, uh, I mean, if city masses didn't exist, you would presume that the mobile tickling, ticketing would have been handled just as badly as it as it was anyway. I mean, the, the existence of city matters isn't isn't uh, isn't going to be a hindrance in any way. You know, you have, you have to look at the things I guess that city matters has been able to achieve or can achieve, and there are certain things. If the club are not able to sort the mobile ticketing out, then they're not able to sort that out, regardless of what the fan reps. Are. I've got to say about the matter. So I don't think you can use that issue specifically as a as a, an anti-city matters thing. My concern, my concern sometimes was that yes, I totally agree with Kevin about Danny and everyone else from the club that we ever encountered. I always found them to be perfectly uh, engaged and interested and hardworking and keen to fix everything. My concern was what happened when the club took those issues away from the city matters meetings where they went, who, who else further up the pipeline in the, in, the, in the club or the football group was, was putting the brakes on things that we thought we'd agreed. So it's not perfect, but I'm certainly not uh, ever going to fault anybody that I encountered from, from City because they were always, they were always fine with me. And um, you know, I know how hard all the reps work and I know that we were meeting people from the club on a regular basis who were, who were working late hours to, to try and get things done. So uh, it's not perfect but it's better than not having it. I know quite a few older fans who are obviously very upset about the fact that they've been forced onto digital ticketing and it might have settled down and people might get in now because they found a solution. I actually know one lady who had to go out and buy a mobile phone specifically because she didn't have a printer uh, she couldn't cope with the technology and she's had to go and buy a mobile phone. Now, she's done something about it and she will now get to the games. So the club will say, there you go, that's worked. But I still don't think that was a, a fair way to treat her. And I would have preferred what I believe has been the solution at Arsenal to the same problem, which is uh, for those younger people who have no issues at all with um, mobile ticketing and just see that second nature uh, fair enough then encourage them to go on to mobile ticketing for those who prefer to have a bit of paper and they've got printers let them print them off but for those who still would prefer to have a piece of plastic or whatever it might be um, let them have that as well give them the option and try to maybe persuade them to go on it and that would have been the way I would have uh, canvassed the club and uh, and I wish that had happened and I wonder if you have any way of knowing Kevin how many people 
you know, because it might have been replaced, so the numbers might be the same, but how many people have, have been lost? Have you any have you had any feedback at all on that, whether there have been people that have walked away from the club because of this? Yeah, I don't know a number, to be honest with you, Ian, no, but I know there are some people who probably have walked away. And, and again, a combination of, you know, we talked earlier about growing out of uh, the habit of football and maybe mobile ticketing was just the final nail in the coffin. And whether they were, you know, I mean, to be fair, Adam saying that he was, wasn't was sure, but he's deferred his season ticket. But there will be some people who's, who have said, I don't even want to defer it. I just don't want to do it anymore. And that the impact of that is because of mobile ticketing. And hopefully the club will have somewhere within their records details of supporters who haven't deferred and just didn't didn't renew and maybe we can look at a, a certain uh, demographic within that group who may be over whatever the age is over 60 or over 65 over 70 that we can go back to them and say you know we can ask them the question well why didn't you renew your season card this time when you had it's very important I think for the club to find out why anybody didn't defer or didn't renew. There is because if you had the opportunity to defer, it didn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. You could have deferred it. So it's a very important group that for me. If you didn't renew and you didn't defer, I think it's very important that we as a club get in touch with those supporters and find out the reason. And you think that will happen though, Kevin? Well, hopefully, it's one of the things we can bring up on Thursday. I think it's important we do that because one of two things can happen from that. Hopefully, we might persuade them to come back next season. If it if it was to down to mobile ticketing or other matters, hopefully they might not have even have been aware of this deferral because some people didn't just didn't renew because they didn't know you could defer. But also, it's it's also important that even if we don't get them to renew, that we find out the data from them, that we find out why they didn't renew this season ticket. It could have been through cost. It could have well be that through ill health. Unfortunately, there are bound to be a number who haven't renewed because they've passed away because of COVID. So there's lots of different reasons, but I do think it's important that the club find out. that For me, that's the most important group. The most important group. There's the second most important group, of course, is those who have deferred. We should be liaising with the people who have deferred and trying to find out how likely it is that they are going to renew next season. And if, if they're on the fence, we should be trying to find out why they're on the fence. And those who have renewed, not take them for granted, but you know, those who have renewed are important, but the least important of those three groups for me. So I think it's important that the club, and we'll bring that up on Thursday, I think it's important that the club start to address those two groups. Let's finish this podcast back on the football again. Um, obviously, there are matches coming up, starting again on Saturday with the home game against Burnley. Uh, there's there's Bruges over two legs in the next group of games before the final international break of, of the calendar year. There's the Manchester derby on the way. Um, you know, there's a, a trip to West Ham, Crystal Palace. There's a whole plethora of games there. I can't help thinking, having watched the three games uh, in Chelsea, PSG and Liverpool, that City have, have never been stronger. You know, um, I, I, I mean, before those three games, it wasn't so much the results that would define how I 
picked up on City so much. It was the performances. All three performances, despite it only being one win of those three games, I thought were exceptional. I thought there were some great individuals. There was some great team play. City deserved to win at Liverpool. Uh, certainly deserved to win at Chelsea, as they did. And, and arguably, uh, if they'd played PSG 10 times, they'd have won eight of them. Um, yeah. You know, but just having to lose that one. I, I've not felt as optimistic as this for ages. Do you share that view? Go on. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very bullish uh, about winning the league because I think what never gets, uh, never seems to get mentioned is that Pep always brings us into the season a little bit undercooked. Uh, we're always late back for pre-season. We're always, we've always had players who've played deeper to the end of the previous season or in the tournaments in the summer. Um, and we always start off a little bit fragile. And I think he even says himself, you know, that Pep's aim is to have us there or thereabouts at Christmas time and then gear up for the second half of the season. And that's when we hit our straps. Um, the squad depth we've got, you know, you've got the likes of, let's say, John Stones, for example, who's not really kicked a ball this season yet. But you go back a couple of months and people were worried that he's played too much football. He'd gone deeper to the Euros and so on. Um, he's going to be fresh as a daisy. Uh, we've got, you know, players all over. You know, Mahrez is hardly getting a game. Uh, you know, Gundogan's to come back, whoever it might be. Um, we've got such depth. And when we get into the winter, I think we are the team that can just go on these, these long 18, 21 game winning streaks that no other team can match. We've played five of the hardest away games already. Uh, you look at, you know, people say, oh, we're level on points for United. Look at who they've played. They've played nobody yet. Um, as long, you know, we'll have the odd slip up. The Southampton at home was a bad, was a bad slip up. And those will happen. No one's going to win every game of the season. But I think we're, you know, we've got to look at winning 30 of our 38 games. And I think if you look at the games that we've got left, that's achievable. And if we hit, if we win 30 games, we'll, we'll win the league. It is pinch me time, Kevin, isn't it? It is pinch me time. I do like that optimism there, Adam. I do like it. But you're right, though, by the way. And, and actually, the one game that you mentioned there, Southampton, people will say, well, we've got a run of six pretty good games coming up that should suit us now. But then other people will say, yeah, but, you know, look at Southampton. I think the difference wasn't against Southampton. We just didn't turn up on the day. It was a yeah. poor performance. So I'm less worried about that than if we'd have played really well and not got a result, if you sort of understand what I mean. Because I know we can play better than we played against Southampton. So against Burnley, against Palace, against Brighton away, the two Bruges games, West Ham in the Cup, whoever it might be, if we can maintain the level of performance, and you're absolutely right, and we've still got players to come back, like Zinchenko and John Stones has hardly touched the ball, and, and oh, Torres hasn't see. played for two or three games, and, and Gundogan, and you know, there's a couple of others who... Uh, are on the fringe and some fantastic young players as well, of course, at the moment, you know, haven't we? You know, so yeah, it's almost we're in a much stronger position than we were at this stage last season. But you would also have to add to that that I do think that Liverpool and Chelsea are in stronger positions than they were at this stage last season. I think Chelsea will continue to be a threat, but I don't think they're quite as the threat that people think they are. For me, I think the bigger threat is probably Liverpool. If they can keep, and this is not easy, but if they can keep the nucleus of their squad fit, I think the, bigger, the biggest threat to us is going to come from Liverpool. But I don't honestly, I agree with you, Adam. I think it's out, 
we're very early. I think it's ours to lose to a certain extent because we've got the best squad, we've got the best coach, and we're playing the best football. And that's You're a great right. combination to have. Salah and Mane to go to the African Cup of Nations in January. Well, as well, they go. Remember. Yeah, that's something I've not thought of. And you're absolutely right. That that will have an impact on them, won't it? Hopefully. Mm. But it, you're right. We pinch ourselves. Listen, we used to travel the length and breadth of the country on a coach or those soccer specials, the trains. And, and we used to dream of playing one game like this every season. And now we're playing it every week. Absolutely. I mean, I'm very much aware of the fact that we're it's sometimes when you're in the middle of something that's really good it isn't until after it's finished that you look back and realize how good it was and I keep reminding myself at the moment how good it is right now I, I don't want to 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 not fully savor everything because it's very very easy to take things for granted every time those three games that we talked about I was at every one of them three games and even when I came away in Paris from the match at the Parc de France I thought wow I was at that game my Manchester City were playing in that they went toe to toe with a team that had Mbappe Neymar and Messi and all right, they lost the game. What what a, what a privilege to be there! What how, how lucky am I to be a City fan? That's how I felt, and I, and I keep reminding myself that all the time. We've all got to do that, haven't we? You're right. You remember that game? I'm sure you do remember it. That game where Trevor Francis made his debut at, at Stoke City. We won three one, and we thought we were going to win the league. I think I don't think that was the season we got relegated, but we came pretty close to it. But that game was so special. Those three games against Chelsea, PSG away and Liverpool were that sort of game. And that, but that's the level that we're playing at every single game. For me, it was, it was the Anfield ones, especially. I mean, the, the treatment we've had at the hands of Liverpool over the years, the, the drubbings we've taken over the years from Liverpool, especially at Anfield. And that crowd was silent. Half an hour into that game, they were silent. You could hear a pin drop. And they were scrabbling around and Milner was relying on bad refereeing to stay on the pitch. Yeah. And we had them on the rack. We had them on the rack. That, would have, made a field. that yeah. would have undoubtedly made a difference had Milner gone off, I think. You know, yeah. you know what, uh, Kevin, I'm sure that we're going to get um, Adam back next season, aren't we? I can tell you, yeah. know, he's got the spark still there. Uh, you yeah, know, he's, might... he's already, it's been glowing since this conversation started, hasn't it? <laughs> Well, it's been a great joy to have the three of you. The three of you. There's only three of us in total. The two of you with me on the podcast tonight. So, Kevin Parker, General Secretary of the Supporters Club. Thank you, uh, Adam P. Thank you uh, to CharlesLouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and so much more. Thanks for you for your support. Thank you for listening, subscribing. Tell everybody about it because we're here every single week. We record a podcast, usually on Sunday evening, UK time, and we'll certainly do that again uh, next week. In the meantime, have a great week. Can't wait for the Burnley game to come along, and uh, enjoy your week. Fully enjoy it, because you know what? It's great to be a Blue. <laughs>